0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. You know, people say to me, oh, the Bible, Graham, it's a bit of a dull book. I don't really get much out of it. Look, the Bible comes alive, really comes alive when we're prepared to have a little bit of a look at the context of the various passages the setting in which they were written, uh, the religious views of the people who were the recipients of these words, their worldview, uh, what were the social and the political and the economic conditions of the time, and, and, and you know, what were the people like who received these words originally? And, and that's the whole point. These words were written to people, they weren't just sort of all written up by the power of the Holy Spirit and then filed away till somebody got the idea you know what, we ought to write a Bible. Let's pull all those files out that different people have been writing and we'll put them all together. No, no, no. These were written to real life people in real life situations. These documents were generally read. That's the whole thing. Most of the Bible was read to people at some point or another in some kind of meeting. Take Isaiah one of the best if not the best preserved of all the biblical documents we've visited this theme before here in my preaching over the years in Jerusalem there's a museum the roof of it is shaped like a the end of a scroll it's called the uh, the book of uh, what's it called uh, the shrine of the book let's get it right some of you've been there the shrine of the book in that museum is a scroll it's one of the scrolls that was found at the, the Dead Sea back in 1940, uh, 1948. This scroll is seven metres long, seven metres. Every single word of Isaiah is in that scroll. It's the best preserved, most intact of all the 250-odd scrolls that were found at the Dead Sea at Qumran. The Isaiah scroll has got this special... Special museum just for it. And, and I heard this bit of a conspiracy theory. Maybe I heard years ago that even the one in the museum is sort of like a a, a copy. The, the real one is in a vault somewhere in Jerusalem. I've got no way of knowing this. It was just speculation because like it is so valuable. This scroll, the Isaiah scroll was up to 200 years old when Jesus walked this earth. It was up to two carbon dating. They've done it all. And so people say, well, you know, is the Bible reliable? Can you really trust the Bible? The short answer is yes, you can. You can trust the Bible. The documents are there. Fantastic. So this is the, this is the Isaiah scroll. So, okay, let's get a little picture of the people to whom Isaiah was written 700 years before the time of Jesus. And the nation of Israel is in crisis. There are two separate kingdoms. There's the Northern Kingdom. There's the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom has been overrun by the Assyrians. The Southern Kingdom is under threat. Things are pretty bleak. And Israel was in shock. Like the people are just stunned to think that it could have got to this point. Previously, under the leadership of David and followed by Solomon, they'd known great power, great prosperity. They were a, a really a force to be reckoned with in the then known world. But in Isaiah's time, Israel was struggling to survive. Things had changed that much. In the midst of their misery and their oppression, God raises up this man, Isaiah. And he's raised up to to lift their spirits, to fire their imagination, to remind them that God was still on their case. He hadn't left them. And despite the absence of short-term victories, nevertheless, God's plan was unfolding. And ultimately, that plan would involve the coming of a Messiah, a promised one. Friends, can you imagine that sort of backdrop? Can you imagine how these battle-weary Spiritually dry, morally confused, ancient Israelites would have responded to this incredible prophecy from Isaiah. Look at these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They lived in the land of shadows, but now light is shining on them. Can you imagine how inspirational these words would have been? To these ancient people, these disheartened, these disillusioned Israelites. I mean, this was their equivalent to the I have a dream speech, you know. This was their road to freedom speech by Nelson Mandela. The movement from darkness to light has always been a very powerful, a very evocative image when trying to um, convey a, a revelation of a vision. Yeah, moving from darkness to light. It's always been a very powerful image. Many speakers over the years have picked up on this. It's certainly used in that way here in Isaiah. You see, when Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Jesus, he saw the event in terms of illumination, throwing light on some of the dark, shadowy areas of human existence. And of course, the light is clearly associated with our Lord. A few verses by way of refresher. John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world, said Jesus. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in darkness. Over in John chapter 1 verse 4. The word, Jesus, was the source of life and this life brought light to mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. One more. John 12 and verse 46. I've come into the world, said Jesus, as light so that everyone who believes in me Should not remain in darkness. Jesus' light, it's all there. It's a huge part of of his message. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Friends, the coming Messiah would illuminate their world. That's the message of Isaiah. The coming Messiah would illuminate their world, giving them perspective, giving them clarity, giving them light for the pathway to guide them morally and spiritually. But, of course, these promises aren't just for the ancient Israelites. They're for us. This is the living word. These, these promises are for us. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what we're celebrating at this time of the year. It's all about light. It's all about illumination. And in his, Isaiah, in his, in his prophecy, Isaiah is, is given certain names for the promised one. And they're mentioned in this, in this reading. And these names provide a key as to the type of illumination the Messiah would give to their lives and to ours. And you'd agree, like choosing a baby's name is very important, isn't it? A whole bunch of Northsiders have gone through that process just in the last few years. Sarah tells me we've had, I don't know, something like 30 babies born or something in three years. It's amazing. So you know what happens, you know, people go through the, the books and they go through the, the family history, and uh, there's a, quite a process involved in selecting the right name because choosing a name. Can largely determine a child's destiny. Can choose how they're going to be treated whether they're going to be paid out at school or not. You can be very careful in choosing the right name. I come from a generation of Graham's and Garys, Bruces and Bryan's, and Pam's and Paulines, and Lorna's and Lorraines. No problem with that. Good names, good Aussie names. But what a contrast to some of the names today. Wow. I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow, wasn't it, who, um, uh, who originally sort of started this trend. or At least uh, she's one name. She, she called her baby Apple. I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl. But uh, I guess if you had to pick a name, oh Apple would be the one. So, uh, and then followed Peach and Pepper. Not, not, this is not Gwyneth Paltrow, of course. This is other people. Maple. Do you know there have been girls given the names of Diva, that's D-E-V-A, Jazzy, Jury, Kershaw. Boys have had names like, and you've got a certain number of names before these become proper names. Alpha, that's okay, there's a magazine, I guess. Named after that. Cello, for the musically inclined. I guess when you start you know, choosing musical instruments for your kids, you could sort of like pick the right instrument for the right sort of mood and temperament, couldn't you? Cello, that's a... Sort of nice, soothing kind of instrument. Turbo. <laughs> See a little bit of Turbo in Zach there, Sam. Turbo. Maybe a middle name, not too late. <laughs> I'm, I'm just throwing out ideas. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> Zanel. There's a boy's name for you. Gosh, you know, you got to be so careful with, with kids' names. Wasn't it Johnny, uh, Johnny Cash? Look, I, I really go into the... Uh, strange world of, of country music. Uh, <laughs> Sam, through Keith Urban, goes there a lot. <laughs> Loves Keith Urban. Um, but look, when I have gone to the, in that strange world, there's a, a guy called Johnny Cash. We all know Johnny Cash. He wrote a song about the boy named Sue, and the, the father gave the, the kid a name Sue. And in one of the verses, I really love this. This is, this is why I really should visit country mu- western music more often. Uh, this is clever. Speaking of the father, he must have thought it was quite a joke because it got a lot of laughs from lots of folks. Seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle and I'd get red. Some guy would laugh and I'd bust his head. I tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Didn't bring any bells? Come on, who knows that song? Anthony's going, never heard of it. Okay. Um, Ask your father. He'll, He'll know about it. Guys, the names listed in the Messiah in Isaiah 9, these are ceremonial names. These are names that were given to the king at his coronation. Uh, Names of honour, royal names. These names in the the Isaiah context are expressions of a a yearning on behalf of the Israelite nation for a new identity. These names are full of power and promise. They connect memories of the past and they connect the hope of the future. Very powerful names. Look at the first one, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor in the modern context what do we look for in a counsellor? Some of you have been to counselling. What do you look for in a counsellor? Wouldn't you say wisdom? That would be one of the primary things you look for in a counsellor. You want, you want somebody who is able to identify the issues in a problem, uh, able to point you to the truth of what's happening, uh, then wisely guide you in the way that, that you should go. Isn't it interesting? In today's world, we have more knowledge than ever. More knowledge than ever we ever thought we'd have in our wildest dreams. But it raises the question does that knowledge transfer into wisdom necessarily? <laughs> and sadly, I think we all agree it doesn't. You know, we had a, you, you know, if, you, if you've got a smartphone, you know, in, in your hand, right there, you have pretty much as much knowledge as the local municipal library, right there in your hand. Maybe more than some libraries, because libraries are on the down. <laughs> It's, it's phenomenal. I was in the Melbourne yesterday at the, at the airport uh, checking on some facts and figures of this sermon and just a little, little phone and we're just going through all the Google stuff. It's amazing what is available at our fingertips. But, you know, has it left us with more wisdom? I had another shooting this week in Colorado at a school. Thank God, nowhere near like the, the last incident over there, which was 14 years ago. Can you believe that? The Columbine High School shooting 14 years ago. Um, And there was uh, 15 people killed, many more injured. And some of you young people may not be aware of this, and we've got some young ones here with us in this service. But a high school student wrote a piece after that crisis, after that shooting. And this went flashed all around the world. And I just thought, you know, on this point of knowledge, wisdom, it's not a bad one to revisit and maybe in some cases to hear for the first time. I use this in one of my 2CH talks. Uh, when this was first released. And they got more requests for that particular service than they'd had in the history of 2CH broadcasting of their religious programs. I couldn't claim credit because it wasn't my wording, but I I happened to be the, the one who actually put it across the air. Look at it. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but we have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger homes, but smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense. More knowledge, but less judgment. More experts, but less solutions. More medicine, but less wellness. We've multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but we have trouble crossing the road to meet a new neighbour. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. It's a time when there is much in the showroom window, but not much in the storeroom behind. Very powerful. It's against that cultural backdrop, our cultural backdrop, that Jesus comes as the wonderful counsellor. And here's the thing. Jesus illuminates the truth. The truth about God. The truth about us. The truth about how we are meant to live. That's, that's our Jesus. The great illuminator. As the wonderful counselor. Jesus said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. That's it. Bang. Friends, I've got a question for you. Are you facing a problem which needs illumination today? Are you entering this Christmas season in need of the wonderful counsellor? Are you in the dark knowing not what to do? Can I urge you to be diligent in prayer and in faith and check with other people if you need to talk about it. But be diligent in the belief that this Christmas may well be the time when you will experience the great light. And you'll see a light on your pathway and you'll experience the guidance of God. Maybe as never before. I hope you believe that's possible. In whatever it is that might be causing you confusion and difficulty at this time. Here's the second name Mighty God. It's a direct reference to the power of God in Jesus Christ. You know, never before as a society have we, have we been so obsessed by power. I mean, we want you know, more powerful cars, and we've got more powerful cars, most of us. Uh, more powerful computers, and many of us own one of those. Uh, more powerful appliances. Bigger TVs, more powerful TVs. Uh, More powerful means of transport right across the board. I I thought of something just recently, and I'll tell you what it was. I I was in a little boy here growing up in Sydney when the first Boeing 707 took off. Now, I asked in the first service, was there anybody down there at Kingsford Smith that day with me? No. Okay. I'm really sorry about that. Because it was a great day. You didn't hear the publicity. It was all over the city. (laughs) Brian Brian Henderson told me, and I was down there. And uh, I got the runways mixed up. I said the the east-west. It was actually, I don't know which one it was, but it was the runway that goes over the eastern suburbs. Okay, that's the one, whatever that one is. And we all gathered in General Holmes Drive on the runway that goes off over the, out to Bondi. Right, And uh, they must have misjudged the the length that this thing was going to need to take off. Thousands of people were there. It was on a Saturday afternoon. Maybe someday. I tried to check it. Couldn't get it. Anyway, this thing took off so low. I remember people actually sort of ducking. Like it was, whoa, just took off and there was av gas and we were coughing and spluttering and probably quite dangerous by today's standards. But we thought, wow, where are we heading? We've been flying on Viscounts and, you know, Electras and if you remember those, DC4s, DC3s. I remember the Wright brothers, you know. Um, <laughs> well, them seeing pictures. Um, I mean, this is a bygone era. And we thought, wow, here's a 707, four big jet engines. How much more powerful can you get? Well, you know, I had this experience a couple of few months ago on my way to the Dominican Republic. I was in Dallas airport and I was looking across the tarmac and there on the far runway was John Travolta's Boeing 707. You, you've seen that. He, he's an ambassador for Qantas and he has the best preserved best restored Boeing 707 in the world. It's beautiful. He parks it outside his house. You seen the pictures? He has a driveway, brings it right up, gets right at this down the gangway and straight into his living room. <laughs> beautiful setup. If uh, <laughs> he can get it, crazy. Well, that's John Tobolder. So the, the plane was there and I was watching it, just fascinated, and then all of a sudden came a huge A380 lumbering along the, the runway. The difference in size was unbelievable. It looked like the 707 could have fitted under the wing of the A380. And it made me realise, gee, what we thought was great back in about 1959, nothing in in terms of where we've gone in aviation. Now, look, guys, there's nothing necessarily wrong with our quest for more power. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But in the midst of all this power, we lack the power to hold marriages together. We lack the power to break destructive habits. We break the power to maintain harmony and integrity in relationships. People sometimes lack the power and the ability to relate to each other in a way that builds up and doesn't tear down. We still struggle in these areas. You know, During his ministry, Jesus did not deliver on any of the political and military power people thought he would deliver on. They, they, they could have accepted it. He'd be more of a overthrow the Romans and barge in and we'll get Israel back on top again. He touched none of that. It's quite specific in that. So what, did, what, what sort of power did he demonstrate? He, he demonstrated the power to heal brokenness. He demonstrated the power to restore hope, to inspire confidence and courage, to forgive and to cleanse. And today is the one called the mighty God. The mighty God. Jesus illuminates the nature of life-changing power. He just shows you what that's all about. Now, friends, this Christmas, you could be among the people who see a great light. You might see Jesus Christ as you've never seen him before. He might illuminate your pathway as never before. He'll give you the power to change what deep down you know must be changed. Many of us struggle with things, aspects of our lives, and we just can't get victory over them. just can't get on top of them. And we've given up in some cases. We're dealing with a resurrection power here, a power that's greater than anything that we know in this In this earthly physical life, in terms of the spiritual and emotional capacity of this power. Let Jesus illuminate your pathway by showing you his life-changing power this Christmas. Here's the third title for the Messiah, Eternal Father. You know, despite the speculation in books like the Da Vinci Code, Jesus was never an earthly father. Okay, let's get that one right off of He was never a dad. But in his life and ministry, he did exhibit all the attributes of a great dad, or a great parent for that matter. Compassion, fairness, strength, justice, kindness, and especially love. In the context of this verse in Isaiah, Jesus the Messiah would be a king who protects and supports his people like a father. Like a father loves to protect his children. A good ruler always wants to care for and protect and, and support his people. But even the very best of rulers one day Die. They're no longer around. Not Jesus. No way. John 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You see, friends, Jesus illuminates the never-ending depth of God's love. It's eternal. It never stops. And that has to be good news in every generation for people who find themselves in the shadowy area of grief, loss, bereavement, sadness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You know, Christmas, we all know this. Christmas can be the saddest time of the year for some people. Because for some people, including people here at Northside this year, it's going to be the first Christmas when certain loved ones are not going to be around. And that's a very tough thing. And many of us have been through that. And some of you are going to go through that for the first time this year. And that's really hard when there's lights and there's music and everybody expects you to be happy. But when there's hope in Christ and when there's a strong, unshakable conviction about the reality of eternity... That's got to be a welcome shaft of light onto the pathway for anybody, hasn't it? If you can be sure that one day there are going to be reunions, one day we're going to see loved ones again. Wow, that's got to be like a shaft of light illuminating the pathway in the midst of pain and sadness. What's in a name? Well, everything. Everything, when that name is chosen, is designed to connect memory and hope, promise and power, past and future. A name is everything. So the names of the Messiah, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. And finally, Prince of peace. And all the messianic names in Isaiah, of all the messianic names in Isaiah's prophecy, this is the one that's best known. Prince of Peace. And we can only begin to imagine the impact of this name, Prince of Peace, on those 8th century BC Israelites, a nation weary from the many battles they'd been involved in with their near neighbours. But of course, Jesus' peace has nothing to do with the cessation of warfare. It's related to, or this, this particular name, This this particular name relates to what's happening within us personally. Jesus illuminates the secret to inner peace and harmony. Remember his words, John chapter 14, verse 27. These have got to be repeated over and over again this Christmas. Peace is what I leave with you, said Jesus. It is not my own peace I give to you. Or rather, sorry, it is my own peace. It is my own peace I give to you. I do not give it as the world does. Boy, we could spend a lot of time unpacking that phrase. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Peace is what I leave with you, says Jesus. Most people equate peace with the absence of conflict. Ah, that's peace. You know, you have a big family gathering, Christmas, a lot of tension. it has got to do it. And then everybody goes home. Ah, peace that we've ridden out the tension in those difficult moments. That, that's not what peace is in the kingdom of God. Peace in the kingdom of God is the ability to stay balanced together, confident, coping in the midst of tension, in the midst of the raging storm. That's the peace that Jesus Christ is talking about. And friends, when you make that discovery of what real peace is, that represents a huge movement from darkness darkness the light you can't get that from any psychologist or psychiatrist that ability to stay peaceful in here when things are happening as Isaiah said it would be the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light this was his prophetic promise to the israelites of 700 bc and this is the reality for us today as followers of the living christ why was isaiah so excited why is this prophecy such a a vibrant book parts, Well, he tells us, here it is, look at this. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's why Isaiah was excited. That's our message in a world that is looking for spiritual illumination. You realise that's what we're up against, you see. That's what people are looking for deep down. But they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking for power. They're looking for more pleasure. They're looking for more peace in some weird sort of ways but when it all comes down to it it's spiritual illumination which we believe only Jesus Christ can provide people who walked in darkness have seen a great light sometimes the light's a little dim but as I prayed with somebody after the first service, even in the dimness of the light, you recognize that God brought you this far and He's going to keep guiding you. Watch for the light, it's there. For us, it means that we have a chance at Christmas to let our light shine. How's that for a simple back to basics message? You know, in England, in the 18th century, before the time of street lighting, under the reign of Queen Anne, they issued a decree. That in London, in all the streets of London, the main streets. If you lived on the main street, to illuminate the pathway, you had to put a lamp out at your own expense. Put a lamp out somewhere between the hours of six and eleven p.m. just to help people on as they made their way around the streets. And somebody would go would go before this, or go around during that period, and with this one message: "Hang out your lights! Hang out your lights!" There's a voice moving among us this morning. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. And the message is, hang out your lights. This is Christmas time. Hang out your lights. Help to illuminate the pathway for a spiritually impoverished, darkened world. (coughs) Your world, the world in which you live and move and work. Hang out your light this Christmas. You don't know who you're going to help on the pathway. As Jesus Christ makes himself known to people at this Christmas time. Let's bow and pray, shall we?